if you wake up and you're feeling like you're looking forward to the day or you're feeling gratitude or some type of positive emotion, that slows your biological aging. And so even if you're a caregiver, if you adopt a practice of gratitude or you do something at night to increase your positive affect, we think that that's what matters, that that's what we control. We control what we do in a day and we don't control the rest, what life situations, our financial, you know, um, the families we're born into, how much we make. We might love being an artist. We'll never be rich. You know, there's all these things that, that we need to accept about our lives, but we don't need to accept a state of chronic stress. We need to embrace the idea that actually we can view things. We can have these paradigm shifts. We can view things differently. We can get into in touch with what's in front of us. That's right. That's good. That is miracles that we wouldn't even see if we're feeling stressed and unsafe. That was Dr. Alyssa Eppel. In today's show, we talk, as you might imagine from that cold open, about stress. Now, stress comes in lots of forms, and one of the most challenging things about it is it's so difficult to see it coming. And before you know it, you're enveloped in it. You're surrounded by it. You're swimming in stress. Now, most common wisdoms say, hey, avoid stress, and here's a list of things to do to do that. But today's episode is different. Some of the topics we cover today, things like, of course, cold water. She actually has something that support that, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of that. But more important, priorities, inventory, uh, things like um, body posture can actually change your levels of stress. And again, how some stress is good, other stress is bad, how to know the difference and how to leverage yourself. And if you want to know how to tell the difference, how to minimize one and cultivate the other, this episode is for you. Yours truly and Dr. Alyssa Apple. Dr. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Chase. Thanks for including me. Uh, I will confess the, the first place I saw your work was a TED Talk. And that's not usually where I discover folks, but I was searching for something around stress and relieving stress uh, for in part myself. And uh, I was talking to another friend of mine and came across your work and noticed that you have a, a new book out, which we will talk about. But for those who aren't familiar with you or your work, I'm hoping you can give us just a little orientation in time, space, uh, geography, uh, who you are, what you like to work on, and uh, and why 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 stress has been your focus. <laughs> I like to say I'm a stress scientist and a stressed scientist. Um, <laughs> it is it's so natural to me to be you know they say psychologists study their own issues. I've always been deeply fascinated with the mind body connection. And so that has brought me into a 25-year love affair with understanding it through different types of research, interventions, meditation studies, stressing people out in the lab. You know, we, we do anything we can to both stress people out and relax people and understand how do these different mind states get under the skin? How do they affect health and aging? Mm. So it's been a journey from studying stress and trauma and adversity and the how 
how that can be uh, pro-aging and damaging, but then also how those states that we inevitably have an experience and will continue to also lead to deep states of living, of joy, of intimacy, of actually really appreciating life in a way we wouldn't have if we hadn't been so tormented <laughs> by different things that happened to our life that we have no control over. Amazing. And well, as you know, the community that you're speaking to today, um, myself included, we identify as creators, as entrepreneurs, as um, folks who are either identi identify as such or are curious about that. And it should be no secret. I mean, there's all kinds of myths surrounding artists, right? That we're um, starving. And, you know, this, I think that's a toxic myth, uh, as is that we're disproportionately um, mal-aligned culturally, or we've got all these problems and that's why we might be sort of creative. And one of the ways that I wanted to get into your material, and again, we'll talk about your new book, congratulations, it's called Stress Prescription, Seven Days to More Joy and Ease. But one of the ways I wanted to get into that material is to hear you talk about how specifically stress can limit creativity for, you know, for those who are, are listening. And one of the ways that that uh, or some of the ways rather that we ought to think about being better at managing it because we don't want to limit our, our creativity. Oh, that is such a good question because even sitting wherever we are right now, whatever our surroundings are, are impacting how we think and the content of our thoughts. And I have never been so clear on that in, um, up until this point in life when we've had the pandemic and the, you know, kind of dramatic changes in our environment, how strong that effect is. And I'll just, I'll just talk personally. I used to talk about moving out of the city and, you know, needing to justify why I wanted to live in a greener area. And now it's like, oh my goodness, I have a whole chapter on the effect of green mind of nature and how that shapes our mind body experience. Um, my personal experience is that I, when I get stuck in this daily routine and schedule and really tied to the clock, I am so uncreative. I just do the minimum, you know, to fill the task, get by, and it's not very satisfying. You know, it's, it's certainly high on the maybe it got things done, check, 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 but just really experiencing fully how how a relationship, how a connection, how a conversation could go. That's different if I'm in my office and I'm in a rush and I'm trying to kind of do a transaction with someone instead of like be with them and mm -hmm. share the present moment and the sharing of values and whatever we're both thinking is important at that time. That is like a timeless experience. That's more like Kairos time, that type of connection you can have with someone. And that's so precious. And, and I just squeeze that out of the day, you know, like with my, yeah, but this is what we're all chasing, right. With, with, with creativity to be able to be, you know, you, you are aware and talked about flow states and how you can be present in this moment and time starts to work. Um, I would say work for you, but it, it almost fades into the background and you talked about there's this presence, um, you know, what in your studies are some ways that we ought to think about managing our, or how we ought to think about managing our own stress such that we can be in that optimal state 
for mm. doing our best work. Mm-hmm. So one way I think about it is that stress is like a cloud or it's kind of got a vice on our thinking and it can be a dominant force throughout the day. And once we have some awareness and metacognition of that, we don't have to be a slave to it. We don't have to have it dampen and limit our creativity and our experiences and shaping our body to be on vigilant mode. Who wants that? We have a lot of that unconsciously. And so part of my point in the book is there are flow states and states of, of deep rest that we're just missing. And we need to cultivate those and value those. And they don't happen necessarily automatically. Sure, they can happen in a, in a forest or if you're an artist and you're deeply engaged. But we can help ourselves a lot by setting up conditions for safety, deep rest, ease, spaciousness. All of those qualities are rare and they're mm. precious. Well, we talked about, I guess, in your work, I read, you know, there's this uh, there is a balance, right, between managing stress or downregulating those stressful um, experiences, such that we can, you know, be closer to flow states and we can ha- not have that vice, as you talked about, blocking our creativity. So that there's ways to manage that, and yet you've also articulated. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of those in a second. Cold showers, you know prioritizing and, and whatnot, even body posture. I was just aware when I started, uh. started recording with you before we were, before we hit record, I was like, Oh, I gotta, Im- <laughs> I gotta impress Dr. Alyssa with my posture, <laughs> with my posture so that she doesn't think that I'm, uh, I'm not eliminating stress. But- you, you have a great posture right now. And I will say that leaning forward is engaged and it is, you know, it's what we do when we're super attentive, but it's also what we do when we're on the edge of our seat and we're trying to project into the future. So leaning forward, we just have to ask, can I, can I make sure that I'm not living in the future right now? And maybe that upright posture you have, and then leaning back is actually telling our body a totally different story of let experience come to me right now. I can just be here with ease. Interesting. This idea I want to get further into cold showers, prioritizing, even something as simple as you just shared with us, body posture. But you've also articulated a point that I think is a, 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 a place I would like to excavate around, you know, there's distress, right? There's negative stressors. And there's also this eustress. There's a positive sense of stress that we can leverage um, and how to, how to, you know, things are, that are preparing us for what we need to do in the moment, how do we know the difference between what kind of stress we're experiencing, or is that a mind state that we ought to be thinking about controlling? Mm. It's more mind state. It's more under our control than we think. Of course, there are c- catastrophic and traumatic situations that we're all going to view that way, but in general, our beliefs are really shaping our biology, our stress response, and how much we're able to think in a clear-headed, problem-solving way versus a threatened, restricted way during stress. And so one, you know, one way to think of threat of kind of good stress, bad stress is simply, can I approach this situation by looking at what I can 
learn, gain, grow from it. What is positive that I could get out of this? And then your resources. You've got to feel like you're going in with some hope of success. I have support. I can ask for help in this way. I've done this before. I'll always survive. You know, all these statements that we can say to ourselves that are just promoting the stance of, I got this. That actually changes our, our stress response into one of positive activation. And what I mean by challenge response is we literally pump more blood more efficiently to the brain. We're oxygenating the brain when we're in this positive challenge state of, of um, doing something stressful where we feel that we have some control. And so that's great. Now, the opposite is simply when we have that automatic threat response. And believe me, some of us are going to have that really strongly. Don't beat yourself up for it. But it's what do you do next? How can you turn that from, oh, crap, I'm going to be embarrassed, humiliated, I'm going to fail, all those thoughts that just drive that cortisol threat response to it's okay, I'm going to survive this, this won't affect me in a year from now, all these thoughts that we can do to kind of reframe the situation and even distancing ourselves from it in, in certain ways, like watching it like a movie that takes that threat out of it, that adrenal gland response out of the current moment. So there's a lot of hacks, thinking hacks we can do to tone down the excessive threat response. And you know, one thing I love that I that I I was teaching a CEO about threat versus challenge, and she was uh, she basically ended up with one statement that helped her, which is, "My body right now is excited. This is good stress. It's helping me." And it's true that that kind of heart racing and adrenaline response is what you frame it. You can frame that as, "Oh crap, this is ter- a terrible situation," or. I'm excited and I've got all this glucose and energy that's going to help me thrive right now. Mm. I'm fascinated with, as you are with the mind body relationship and actually that this multi-million year old organ between our ears isn't there to necessarily keep our, keep us healthy, but help us survive. And it's the Mm -hmm. act of learning, learning to drive this organ between our ears and get it to work for us. um, How, how powerful that is. And Chase, I would, I would love to hear from you. What are the, if you can generalize a bit, the artist, entrepreneur, creative, common, stressful situations or stressors? What, what do you, what does your audience struggle with? There are a handful of key struggles. uh, And I think stack ranking them is, uh, I'll, I'll do just three here and I'll try and stack rank them on the fly. One is that I'm not enough. My work's not good enough, not original enough. So it's just about enough. I think the second one is probably financial in nature that, you know, there's these toxic myths of the starving artist, for example, and how will I, you know, when I've got all this conditioning from my parents and my career counselor and pop culture at large saying, well, I, I I don't know if I can be successful because how many people truly make a living doing the thing that they're passionate about? And what we know now is that millions and millions of people do that, but that is a key concern, the financial one. And then the mm. third one I would say is our ability to help others understand 
our big dream for this one precious life that we've got. And this is both family members who might be afraid of, you know, points one and two that I made earlier. Uh, you know, how, how am I going to be in a relationship with this person if they can't, you know, create some success for themselves or they're living a pipe dream thinking that they can make it as a rock star or as a, uh, as a podcast host or as a, as a, uh, a playwright and the ability to communicate with the people that are close to you in order to, to help them understand that you are all in on this and this was going to really be meaningful for your life. I think those three things are, uh, I think the most common things that surface whenever I ask the audience questions about this stuff. Mm, that's super helpful. Well, let's start with, I'm not enough. What people don't realize is that so many other people have that thought in their head walking around. So we feel alone. We feel some shame, some inadequacy, and the I am not enough turns out to be almost a universal experience. And that's why self-compassion is like this huge trend. Um, people in the U.S. in this Western culture where we're getting so many messages of I'm not enough, I need you know, I need material wealth. I need these things for society to see that I have value. So of course we have, I'm not enough. And how tormenting that thought is. I actually have part of my book on I'm not enough. I met someone named Kathy Kapliner uh, from Southern California. She was at one of my retreats and she suffers from depression. And she actually got so much solace from the statement of realizing how you could pop that balloon and replace it with, I am enough. And she started a national billboard campaign that says you are enough. She gets letters from people that say, I was actually close to suicide. And I saw that billboard and I looked into your campaign purpose campaign and it has saved people. And, and, you know, that's remarkable that we can actually be so tormented by false thoughts like that. Mm. And of course, you know, we have this culture that's telling artists, I mean, you, your only value, you know, is if you make it this level and your fame where these creatives, they, if they can express their creativity and make that a core in their life, they're going to be depressed. You know, you have to follow your, what you were, your gifts that you were, given and and you know what other people think is none of our business and it's so important for creatives and people with a dream to remember that because the world will never see them fully it'll always be a struggle conveying their purpose their passion why they need to do this so that kind of puts us in, in that you know that that first one about you know living your dream or the financial or any of those problems that our community I think are, that that dominate the I'd say the mind share or the rhetoric around uh, the career choices that we make. Obviously, managing our stressors is helpful. So I'd love to shift the conversation if we can to some of these very specific things. I will also confess I'm a huge cold water fan. I've been. I have a cold water plunge, a permanent one at my home here. I've been uh, a cold water advocate for, oh gosh, I'm th working on somewhere between five and 10 years now. And it's been transformative for me, the Wim Hof method. Uh, got a couple of scientists, another Dr. Mark from the UK, he talked about uh, 
all, you know, the, the benefits. I'm wondering if we can, you know, run through a few. I don't want to just lean on cold water because my audience is, they've heard, they've heard me <laughs> rant about how cold water, um, you know, you've got some, a couple of other things listed here in the book that mm-hmm. take prioritizing, uh, the inventory of, of, of stuff that we've got to do. Um, and, you know, other ways to like managing, you know, time, for example, body scan on some sort of a regular interval. So I'm wondering if you can talk us through those yes. and any others that come to mind, specifically ways that we can manage stress. So I think about it in three ways that we're changing our relationship with stress. So with our mind, we have all this enormous opportunity to reshape stress from threat to be to be small and these are the some of the mind techniques of it's really a paradigm shift of number 1 realizing how much uncertainty stress is with us all the time and once we can actually do this mindful check in and realize how much we're holding which is tense and vigilant even when we think we're relaxed we can actually find ease and let go of our uncertainty about the future our uncertainty stress it's just with us especially now we we cannot know the future we cannot predict it yet we want to control it and so by tuning into that and doing these mini meditations to release catch and release uncertainty stress it's it's a very focused meditation that i think is could take even 2 minutes and can remind us that we can actually feel ease and spaciousness right now while nothing is happening and notice we're not really relaxed. We actually have unconscious stress that we're carrying, but we can actually tune into our body and name these feelings and emotions and that, you know, it's it's name them to tame them. It really does change our experience to feel the ease of safety, the ease of everything is okay right now. It's okay to relax. And we need that. We need those reminders. And I call them safety signals as well. We need safety signals. So shaping, uh, recognizing uncertainty, stress, recognizing that we often are trying to control things we have no control over that takes up a lot of mental real estate. Those are big mental shifts that we can tap into. And that can, I'll say, reshape stress and shrink it. We can dissolve stress by being surrounded by safety signals. So nature, when we go into nature, we leave the kind of urban environment that is really impinging on our creativity, our spaciousness, and it creates cognitive load. We only have a certain memory bank, right? And it fills it because we're just, we're overloaded with, with stimuli. Nature, we are evolved to see those vast horizons, to see the green shapes, to have those natural odors and fragrances. And we relax in nature. And our mind goes from being filled with rumination, with self-referential thoughts, worries, I'm not enough, to all of a sudden, very, very small me interconnected to large world. And that shift can happen very quickly in nature, especially if we open up our sensory gates. So you can do this at home. You can create these safe spaces. And of course, people do that with spiritual rituals. They have uh, a, a lot of cues in the environment. They might have, you know, 
a prayer picture or Buddha, et cetera, that, that actually conditions us to be letting go of all of that unconscious vigilance. And then the third way is metabolizing stress. And this is what you use a lot. And this is one of my favorite techniques. We can, so the nervous systems in the body, and rather than working so hard to control stress mentally, we can actually use the rest of our body in a really powerful way to change our mind. The body changes the mind. When we create short shots of stress that we're controlling and we recover from them, we are metabolizing stress, both emotional stress, physiological stress, all the stress hormones, and we're left with a state of ease, sometimes elation. So that's probably why you've become a regular or maybe even addicted <laughs> to some of this this cold stress. I mean, wow. I have to say it, t- it takes a certain personality <laughs> to do the cold. And uh, my sister-in-law, who is an artist, has um, become uh, gone from, well, I'll just say it's helped both her art and her health. And, and just, you know, that kind of toughening up the stress response through the body makes you more emotionally resilient too. We know that exor- when you become fit, you actually respond to a lab in the stressor as if you're a young, healthy, fit person. You recover much more quickly and you have less rumination. So it goes both ways. We've got to use our body and not just rely on our mind to be managing all the, the vast threats we deal with. I think that is a massive insight from this that I think most people believe they can manage this stuff from the couch or the desk or uh, the boardroom or wherever they are. And this idea of getting into the body and that the body is actually a, obviously it's interconnected, but that it actually moving the body or affecting it via cold or other stressors, that actually is in a sense, uh, would you, would you categorize this like a muscle that we're developing? Is this exactly. a skill? It is a muscle and it is stress fitness that we're developing. And no one's ever heard of that word. We know aerobic fitness well, and high intensity interval training or aerobic activity. Yes, that builds aerobic fitness and it fits the bill for what we're talking about of also building stress fitness. But there's all these other ways that we can stimulate the nervous system without even cardiovascular fitness and we get stress fitness. And so the cold is a perfect example. And then the heat, you know, the hyperthermia and the sauna, that's turning out to be great for not just cardiovascular health, but for for mental health, for stress and depression. And so there's a common, it's what we call hormetic stress response. There's a, there's a primitive biological response that we mount with fierce um, intensity when our body feels threatened and the recovery from that is gorgeous. We've induced this whole restorative response. Our cells are cleaning out. Uh, we've released growth factors in the brain and that is the benefit. That's the recovery and restoration that we get from these short little shots of coffee that are their stress fitness. So hot, cold, extreme breathing, uh, of course, aerobic exercise. There's not that many things on this list, but they're, you know, we hope to grow it. Like what else can help us? Like we, you know, we do all sorts of weird things to cells and to an, to animals in these studies of hormetic stress, and it makes them live longer. And what, what can we do in our lives that can be this kind of short-term manageable stress? Most people don't like cold. How did you get used to it? And how does it make you feel? And I especially want to know, Chase, psychologically, what have you noticed? Like, do you relax into it? 
you know, what are you doing that, that makes it feel good? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm happy to talk a little bit about this. So, um, it started for me with cold showers and I I'll, I'll confess, like if I'm sitting by the pool in the sun, relaxing and someone plays a joke on me, like throws cold water on me, that is basically like the worst thing you could do to me. And this is in a, in a previous life. I, I'm just like, why are you shocking me like that? That's a horrible joke to play. Um, so that sets you up for how, like how much I disliked cold water, especially the contrast between being warm and cozy and someone like ruining that. <laughs> so, horrible. yeah. So, uh, it started out as cold showers, but when I first learned a little bit about this and I would take a normal shower and then I would flip it to cold for the last minute. And at first, absolutely miserable. I mean, this is like, I am so cozy. I'm all warm. I'm just about to get out and get dressed, get my day going. And then, you know, this blast of cold water. But I noticed one thing that sort of salvaged this for me and made me want to do it again. And that was the feeling of instant euphoria. Mm -hmm. And this euphoria lasted, I was aware, for a considerable amount of time into the day until I sort of forgot about it or moved on with, with my with my day. But it was like if you could snap your fingers and have an entire cup of coffee flowing through your body immediately. <laughs> I and, love it. Yep. Yeah. And there was a, there was good. a positive. It was very positive. Yeah. Uh, so this this showering went sporadically for a while. And then a lot of people do the polar plunge on New Year's. And we have a house up on a beach not too far away. And um, it's on a body of, of salt water. It's very cold. It's in the high 40s. Um, and I remember the same thing, getting out of the water after the polar plunge and feeling incredible and having that feeling last a long time. So I then doubled down on the showers, showers turned into the occasional, you know, I would go to places that had cold tubs. It was in my past, I was an athlete and cold water was, if you were injured, you had to put your body in cold water. So I had a negative association mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. This over, over time, I had flipped that script. Uh, to the point that, again, then I built a cold plunge at my house and now I do it every day. And if I don't have it, I feel sluggish and lethargic. And and um, it has helped me realize, and there's no, no, no one time that I'm like, I can't wait because I usually, it's a contrast bath. I'm in hot, hot water first and then I get in cold water. I got a hot pool right next to a cold yeah, pool. Nice. Never do I, I'm like, I can't wait to get in that free. I've occasionally had to break <laughs> ice to get into this thing. And oh I'm like- God. Never do I want to get in there, and yet every time I know that when I'm in there and on the, you know, as I as I get out, I'm going to feel great. So mm -hmm. those those feelings end up trumping the negative, you know, the negative emotions, and I can't actually think, I can't I can't think of a life without it. Now it sounds difficult to not have had that low weight stressor. Now when I'm in there. I'm immediately able to control my breath, whether the water's, you know, 50 degrees or, you know, 35 degrees. Well, no, that's super interesting because that's actually, I was listening for that. What's happening to your breath? Because yep. the untrained response is, <laughs> it's a stress response. You yep. know, it's both, okay, this is what my body does when it's shocked and cold. And then on top of that, this sucks. This is uncomfortable. I'm, you know this can't be right. You know, so there's all the psychological stress on top of that. Yeah. And so the training is about actually attuning 
there is no second arrow, meaning there is yeah. no s- stress about stress in yeah. the trained body like that. And I, it's just beautiful that you're, you notice your breathing has become continued to be smooth. That is, yeah, I I'm, think, I'm also yeah. one last point there. Um, yeah. So it, I, yeah, and I, sorry for interrupting no, you, no, no, Dr. Listen, no. but my, when I'm an advocate for this, so I've always got friends over at my house and they're kind of intrigued and they're like, okay, I'm going to do this cold plunge thing with you. And they get in the hot tub and like, oh, it's really nice. It's 105 degrees in here. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. And they get in there. And the first thing I observe is instantly their breath is sucked out of there. And if I can just say, cool, focus on one thing and one thing only, and that is your breathing. How can you take as slow and as deep a breath as possible? Beautiful. And within a matter of seconds, they, I, I observe, and I've observed this I can say, I think probably hundreds of times from guests that come over to have this experience, there is a, the, the, I would perceive the stress response goes from a nine when they first get in there to a four in 10 seconds or less. Mm. And then, mm-hmm. and then I also observe that sort of when they get out, there's a sense of accomplishment. It's sort of like making your bed in the morning. You've heard that about a lot of entrepreneurs, like I get something done when you get out of that cold water you're literally buzzing. Like there's some endorphins that have been released, especially yep. early on in the process. And nobody has said, I don't ever need to do that again. They're like, at least that's interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. So we studied the Wim Hof method. Wim Hof came to our labs and he, um, you know, trained our people. And I believe, um, and we haven't published it yet, so nothing's ever fact till it's peer reviewed, but when we compare it to other things like plain old hit or relaxation, the um, the people who did the Wim Hof method every day for three weeks experience more positive emotions and joy on our daily diary <laughs> significantly than the other things. So I think that there is really like the euphoria you're describing is really unique to these kind of hormetic stressors. Yeah, it's fascinating. So slowing breathing is super important and valuable. So having that deep rest state and controlling our nervous system through slow breathing, six breaths per minute, that alone is great. But to actually do that when your body is under stress is the pairing of, of I am safe, I can feel comfort in the midst of a physical stress response. And I believe that that's a unique type of resilience that you're training mm. is I can feel okay. I can relax into discomfort. Well, one of the things that, that struck me about your work, uh, it it queued up for me another guest we've had on the show a couple times. Um, it, she's written a book called The Artist Way. Her name is Julia Cameron. This has sold millions and millions of copies. Uh, she came out in the I think seventies or eighties, um, and she has since written a couple of follow up works. And I had her on the show recently, and she said. I received a criticism from the New York Times about the tools that I suggest for creators and entrepreneurs that the tools are simple and repetitive. And she said, I found that to be the greatest compliment. Yes. And when I'm, you know, this is, I want to communicate this to our listeners, like that, you know, Dr. Alyssa has identified just a handful of things like cold water, breathing, you know, orienting our priorities, uh, some things as simple as body posture and that these things are muscles that you train and you train these over time and that 
just simply breathing differently, for example, can, can change your biochemistry, can change your blood pressure. That's almost, I think it's like the fastest known way to do that. It's faster than injecting drugs into you. Like that, these tools are so available, so universal and so simple that you can just repeat them on a regular basis. And this is why I'm, what I'm getting to here is I don't know, I don't know why someone would not adopt these into their daily life. And I would like to hear from you on, you've packaged this in a book that is seven days, right? The stress prescription, seven days to more joy and ease. So is seven days really all it takes? Well, if you really don't have that much going on that week, I think you could really do it in seven days. But I really encourage people to try, you know, one thing for days or a week and then a next thing. And there are a handful of strategies and you just need to find one that fits like a glove and make it a habit. And I couldn't agree with you more. Simple repetition is ritual and ritual is the foundation of relaxation. And so when we have these daily habits, they are changing our brain pathways, our even possibly our epigenetics. So we're really changing biology, the embedded biology, if we're able to make things a habit. And of course, you know, trying them just once when you can is going to change your day. So it's really not like you have to, um, you know, I just think people should experiment, you know, try, try this and see if it works on you. I, I had one person ask me like, you know, if you're saying that this this metabolizing stress response can be hot or cold. Like, why would I choose cold? <laughs> I really just want the sauna. And I love that. And yes, just if that's what it's going to take for you, do the sauna regularly. And that has been shown, you know, to have so many mental and health benefits. But if you can do both, like you're saying the hot and cold back to back, then we're really whipping up the stress fitness, the nervous system into shape because we're really challenging it to the extremes back to back. And our body loves that. Mm. Again, I got to give a personal plug for the book here, the stress prescription, seven days to more joy and ease. Um, but I would be remiss to let you go before answering or asking you another question. And it is, you have written um, other books and specifically New York Times bestseller around um, living younger, healthier, and longer. So my question, and it's called the, the, uh, telomere uh, effect. Is that right? The telomere That's effect, right. a revolutionary yeah. approach to living younger, healthier, and longer. I'm hoping that you can, and this is certainly a tease for more of your work because I started going down <laughs> prior to any guests going on the show, I would go deep down the rabbit hole and the, I'm wondering, did your studies around aging, metabolism and emotion where you're the, you know, you're the director at UCFF, UCSF of those things. But did, was it your focus on aging and emotion, for example, that led you to stress or was it your focus on stress that helped you understand the relationship between stress and aging and our emotional regulation? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, I entered it really fascinated with the dark side, with how does stress and trauma get under the skin and affect aging? And then once we look at, well, how do we measure aging? Oh, it turns out that there are some great ways that we can take blood, look into a cell and get a proxy 
of our rate of biological aging. And so that's how I got onto telomeres. And I was just so lucky that my colleague and Nobel laureate, Liz Blackburn, was at UCSF. So she was on the same campus, knocked at her door, said, wow, you know, there's there's this thing called um, chronic stress and allostatic load that, that screws up our regulatory systems and can cause high blood pressure. I wonder if it changes rate of aging. And she she was like, well, gosh, there's a lot we don't know about it already on the genetic side, but I'm convinced by data. Let's see. So I gave her, you know, I looked at caregivers, I gave her blood, <laughs> her lab blood and Julin, my other colleague. Um, we measured a bunch of things in the cell. And even in our first study, which was, you know, over 15 years ago, we found that chronic stress was accelerating the biological aging, shorter telomeres, lower levels of the anti-aging enzyme telomerase, higher oxidative stress. But since then, we've done so many studies showing that, oh, wow, it doesn't, you know, yes, if you have this uncontrollable defining stressor in your life, um, there's more wear and tear in general on average, but really it's about what you do every day. And if you wake up and you're feeling like you're looking forward to the day or you're feeling gratitude, or some type of positive emotion, that slows your biological aging. And so even if you're a caregiver, if you adopt a practice of gratitude or you do something at night to increase your positive affect, we think that that's what matters, that that's what we control. We control what we do in a day and we don't control the rest, what life situations, our financial, you know, um, fa the families we're born into, how much we make, we might love being an artist, we'll never be rich. You know, there's all these things that, that we need to accept about our lives, but we don't need to accept a state of chronic stress. We need to embrace the idea that actually we can view things, we can have these paradigm shifts, we can view things differently. We can get into in touch with what's in front of us that's right, that's good, that is miracles that we wouldn't even see if we're feeling stressed and unsafe. And so that's why I wrote this book was, was the people really resonated to understanding, okay, so my aging can be affected by stress. Now that I know my cells are listening and my telomeres are sensitive, I'm going to go to the gym more. You know, so they get a little burst of motivation from the un mechanistic understanding that our cells care what we're feeling. But then there's all these, um, as you said, small rituals that we can add, just add a few and they really can help. And that's what I hope people will learn from this is that there's not some high-tech thing you need to buy. You don't need to change your life dramatically. You need to find the, you know, what, as, as I said, you know, you can shape stress differently. You can help it evaporate by become, you know, having some green rituals with nature, or you can metabolize it. You don't have to do all of them. Hmm. I think we just found the cold open for the show. That was so well put. And thank you for connecting this sort of aging, stress, uh, emotional response. I have been fascinated by that uh, for decades and your work. Congratulations uh, on the success. And of course, on the new book, this community is, we are voracious readers and we do everything we can to support authors uh, in their pub week. I have highly recommend the book. Um, and I want to say thank you for writing it. Thank you so much. That's so nice. I really appreciate your appreciation. It means a lot coming from you. I have to say, I'm super excited to, um, you know, publish our results on this. I can't um, wait. Uh, Vim has been on the show and I'm sure he's excited about the results too. Um, I'm an advocate uh, for him and 
Uh, now for you, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, is there a place besides your two you know, most recent books that I have already talked about in the show? Is there anywhere you'd like to steer our community to support you and your work or to learn more? I finally launched a website this week. So <laughs> needed one um, yeah. to, you know, really show, I have a lab website that has all our research and studies and you can join studies. So, but now I have a personal website that has retreats and talks that are more about um, contemplative science, meditation, stress that are more um, for the general public. So I'll give you both sites. The lab website is amecenter dot ucsf.edu and ame center is aging metabolism emotions and so that's our research site and then the the book retreat events site is just simply my name elissaepple.com i am so grateful for your time today thank you again for being a guest um keep doing the good work and we'll we would love to have you on the show anytime when you make new discoveries or where this this update uh comes out on the cold water uh, effect and the positive effects of it. We'd love to have you back until then. Uh, thank you so much. And for myself and for everyone out in the community, um, grateful for you. And we bid you all listeners out there in the world adieu for the day. Thank you so much, Jason. It's a pleasure. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, Chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.